You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Good thing we're doing this before the inauguration because I do not want to have to report on like national news next time we do the podcast. Yeah, quite frankly, I don't want to have to think. Oh, no. At all? You were saying that like how uh, tomorrow you're not going to pay attention to anything? No, I'm... I'm going to be glued to the news, man. I gotta know. It's going to be... I'm going to say that and then I'm going to be sitting on the couch the whole time. Yeah. Ooh, siren number one. The funny thing is, it's like, <laughs> do you have any, uh, like, inaugurations I have just, like, not watched? I did not watch the Trump inauguration. No. I I don't even really remember watching Obama's inauguration. His first inauguration, I was really bummed I couldn't go. Because... That was a serious iron. Oh, yeah, because you were in the area at I the time. I was. I was. I don't remember why I didn't go, but I, I remember watching it on TV, and then I remember watching his second inauguration at college. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have no memory of watching um, Bush inaugurations, and I don't know why I would, because my parents were like, ugh, that man. Ugh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then Clinton, I mean, I'm trying to think. I could have. I would have been four. So no. No. I wouldn't remember it. No. But yeah. What about you? Your inauguration stories? Regrets? I've, I've gotten done. It's just weird that I'm thinking about it. Like, it's weird that we were all thinking about the certification of the vote because normally I'm like, whatever, the government works the way it works. <laughs> like, I'm in, interested. I'm like politically astute or whatever, but like, I, you don't think about that. <laughs> and all of a sudden we had to think about it, which is like bonkers. And now we're making everybody who listens to our podcast think about it. I remember when I was in high school, people were always like, oh, it's, you know, it's a bummer when you have to take AP government during a non-election year because it's so much more fun. But I feel like, man, if you were an AP Gov kid this year, and, or the last four years, oh, girl, you learned so much. I did take it during an election year, which was very fun. Yeah. Um, but the stakes were not um, fascism high. So... So yeah, it could be fun. Yeah. As opposed to. It was fun. Totally yeah. fun. I do not feel like these kids had a, a, had any kind of fun. Was that the Mitt Romney yeah. one? Well, then you had binders full of women. Uh, rip, a <laughs> Mitt Romney deep cut binders full of women. Also, when his family tried to spell out Romney on the stage, but it said our money. <laughs> these are things we can laugh about now. I like to think that his kids were like, that would be funny and did that on purpose. <laughs> He has a lot of them. There must be some troublemakers among the bunch. It's the Mormonism. Yep, he's a Mormon. That's a true fact. <laughs> that wasn't shade to Mormons. That was shade to Mitt Romney. <laughs> Ken Jennings is also a Mormon. Really? A fact I always forget, but Interesting. every once in a while. I'm he like, just Ken got Jennings canceled. I heard. I heard. Which makes me sad. Big canceled. Because uh, he would have been the obvious choice. Yeah, too. What's the name of the computer <laughs> that they had people try to face on jeopardy oh i don't know i feel like it's something very famous and i can't remember i can't remember but what if they just had a computer they were like no human could possibly do what alex rebeck did therefore oh my god you know how there was the robert kardashian hologram oh god no (laughs) no that is the worst thing i could possibly think of but like r.i.p alex trebek i'm very sad about that yes yeah oh god no that, that happened this this past year that happened in 2020 Recently, yes. like in October recently. Ugh. 
because I remember talking about it with my family over Thanksgiving, and they had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, God, I wish I was you. I, I've said before, everything I know about the Kardashians, I learned against my will. It's mostly Twitter, the culprit for me. Yes. Because uh, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing that fucking hologram. Ugh, yeah. Horrifying. Terrifying. You know what else is terrifying? This. MTV Scene Wolf. This show that we review here on this podcast. Also this podcast. Yeah. Oh, this podcast is called The Teen Wolf Rewolf, by the way. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And we're going to talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. A very significant episode, I may say. Yeah. Heavy stuff. It is. That we are going to have to talk about. I have a feeling that this is sort of an an anticipated uh, conversation. I know a lot of people feel really strongly about this episode, um, Mm -hmm. given what happens in it. Um, And we're going to be diplomatic. (laughs) We also have strong feelings about it. Yes. But we respect that other people have differing opinions. So this episode is uh, episode 23 of season three, or episode 11 of 3B, and it is called Insatiable. Yes, it was written by the dream team Jeff Davis and Angela Harvey, and directed by Tim Andrew. It's funny because I think this is so, with the exception of the end, I find this to be such a typical penultimate episode to a season. Mm -hmm. I didn't find the writing that stunning um it was totally passable but i know that jeff davis and angel harvey had given us way better episodes in the past Mm -hmm. this kind of felt to a means to a very unfortunate end yeah i think they knew what had to happen and unfortunately they were trying to wrap up so many other things or like not even wrap up but like push all of these other concepts to a close and so this major death that happens could not get, I think, more focus, which it may be deserved. Yeah. I think also, unfortunately, we had sort of, um, you know, little, like, pinpoints of season four leaking into this episode. And Mm -hmm. I know it's important to set up the next next season so that we can sort of move into it with grace, but this didn't feel like the right time to be, like, having the twins being shot in the woods or whatever. No, and I think that's a chronic problem for Teen Wolf, um, and the writing in particular, uh, the way that they kind of segue into um, the next season or the next the next plot, even. Yeah. So, I mean, because it's funny how Teen Wolf is so monster of the week, mm-hmm. but just per season, and that is another reason as to why season five is so jarring. Yes. Um, where it really feels like we leave things behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do have to agree with you there. Uh, before we get into it, we do have to do our sixty second recap. Yes. And it's Christian's turn to go first. Oh my god! Ha ha! I'm ar- I, I just there was a lot in this episode. I'm I'm not pre- I'm not predicting victory here. I don't know why I went ha ha. It's not anything to gloat about. We trade off every week. It's not new. Yeah, and you, you <laughs> what are you going to do better than me? <laughs> Almost certainly not. Um, but are you ready? Sure. Okay, you have a minute on the clock starting now. So Styles wakes up and they realize that uh, Lydia and the Nogitsune are gone. And then Styles has to pass like a Nogitsune vibe check. And then meanwhile, Deaton is pulling the flies out of the werewolf's mouth. It's really gross. And then uh, they like need to split up to look for Lydia. Uh, but like they don't know where to start because like Styles is like not with it. Um, and then they realize that Meredith is going to be the only option to come to try to uh, save 
Lydia because I need another person who like might know where she is and Styles like remembers something from from Eichen House and they go to Eichen House and she's not there because she escapes and then she shows up in Coach's classroom and then the mean orderly is mean to Coach and Coach is like no and then Kira and her mom are talking and, K- and Kira's mom is like uh, you need to understand how the Nuggets and A work so I'm going to teach you the game of Go and uh, then Kira realizes that it's like really her mom who she's playing against and her mom is going to fight the Nuggets and A and they figure out from Meredith that they are at uh, Oakbrook and they go and then the Oni switch allegiances because the Nuggets and A breaks the tail and then they stab Allison and it's really sad. You had one second left. Cool. I think I skipped big stuff. Oh, I skipped the twins. Yeah. No, they're skippable sometimes. Sorry. No offense. Yeah. Uh, they're not our favorite characters. You all know that. No, I also skipped the Isaac and Allison scene, Mm. which is not plot development, but is important to me personally. Yes. As we all know. Um, but I just gave those to you on a platter so you can mention them in your recap. Thanks. Uh, are you ready? Yeah. For yours. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Lights up. Lydia and the Nuggets and A are gone. Deaton is getting the flies out of all of the boys. Um, the only proof that Styles is mostly himself again. Who knows what that means? Um, the Nuggets and A and Lydia are at the abandoned internment camp. Noshiko teaches Kara go. Um, we found out that Parrish was, quote, drawn to Beacon Hill. Styles and the sheriff reunite. Um, Derek and Chris make up in the elevator. Styles uh, and the sheriff go get Meredith from Eichen House, but she's escaped and she turns up in Coach's classroom. Um, Allison and Isaac find Lydia's car and then they end up having a conversation about whether or not Isaac was really himself when they did the smoochies. And he says that he was. Um, Scott realizes that Styles is in pain and uh, that he can't do anything about it. Coach defends out Meredith. Allison and her dad go to make arrows because she's graduating from Hunter School. Um, Styles and the Nuggets and A are torturing Lydia, basically. And then Raphael wants to talk to Scott about how he pushed him down the stairs, and that's all very sad. They all get together to go find the Nugitsune. The twins get shot. Chris and Derek are trying to save the twins so they don't get there to Oakbrook in time um, when everybody is fighting the Oni and then it switches allegiances and then Allison dies and we close out on that. She also tells Scott that she loves him. Um, you did really well. Thank you. I you was... got so much, so much, so much detail in there. I was impressed. I really was. Thank you. got you. to the end. We both made it to the end of the, I can't remember the last time we both made it to the end in a minute. Um, yeah, well, I feel like all things considered, the fact that this episode happens in basically what, like 16 hours, not even a full day. Yeah. Um, helps. I feel like most episodes take place in like 16 hours. They feel very long. Yeah. I think Riddled takes place in like four. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. Um, no, I just, uh, sometimes my detailed plot notes are a hazard and sometimes they're helpful. So yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I hope your notes are helpful in dis- dissecting this week's theme. So we are going to be talking about this episode through the theme of identity, uh, something that has been taken from some of our characters, some that is being reevaluated, um, something that has been reevaluated for some of our characters over season's time. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really interesting to dig into that. Obviously, the main story of this episode is going to be Allison's death. We're going to save that for the end since we're going to have a lot to say. Uh, so with that in mind, where would you like to start? Well, we started with the twins last week, and they feel like an appropriate place to start now, just because we don't have a whole lot to say about them, but this is also a season four breadcrumb as well. Um, The twins do some, like, they're trying to help. I don't really know how, but they're running through the woods trying to look for Lydia, and they get shot Mm -hmm. with wolfsbane bullets. Um, And Derek pulls them into the were-coyote den and is like, who did you piss off? Which I actually really liked as a detail because pretty much any other character, you'd be like, well, why are they getting shot at? But the twins have a storied past that we know so, so little about. Yeah. And it really could be anyone. Yeah. There's a lot of red on that ledger. Mm -hmm. Um, 
What I find so interesting about that is for this whole season, the twins have been trying to assimilate to the identity of being in Scott's pack. And in part, it's because they know that they are physically stronger um, being in a pack or and, you know, have protections around them. But on another end, it has to be totally to distance them from their former identity of being in the alpha pack, which, as we know, decimated all types of humans and werewolf alike. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not only are they trying to create a new space where they can be separate from Deucalion, um, it's also really hard to leave reputation behind no matter how much these two have been sort of rehabilitated in any way mm-hmm. the people who are mad at them would never see that and and never really forgive them anyway because they acted without any forgiveness in their time in the alpha pack yeah and this is this feels like a, a continuation of kind of the argument that they were having in the previous episode of you know ethan really really wants to change his identity like he wants to be able to adapt and aiden seems much more reluctant um whether that's because he is so attached to the power that comes with that identity or perhaps he has just a more realistic outlook on like well we can't forget what we did we can't become new people yeah i think there's maybe a level of shame there too sure um it's interesting to me when they first when uh deaton is pulling the flies out of their mouths which by the way is an excellent piece of body horror absolutely disgusting so good Mm mm-hmm where they are like they seem to be really frustrated by the fact that they they feel that the people around them are acting incompetently. Mm-hmm. They even say like I think Aiden even says like even says like how did you you know let the Nogetsune get away? And Deaton is like uh, because he barfed up a pile of styles. <laughs> like we weren't really paying attention to that. And I think that there may be even be there may even be a part of him that's like nothing was ever off kilter. In the alpha pack, everything was like done to like, you know, perfection. And mm-hmm. how are you guys not being able to do this when this is a life and death situation? And I think that that's a really interesting thing where he is clearly sympathetic and loves Lydia and is, you know, very much wanting to be a part of this pack from now an emotional standpoint too, but also frustrated with the fact that it is essentially amateur hour always <laughs> in the McCall pack because these are just teenagers, whereas all of the alphas were like regular, regular adults. Well, they are just teenagers, but not only was the Alpha Pack um, adults, but they, like, weren't allowed to have feelings beyond, like, murderous bloodlust. Yeah. Um, Whereas Scott leads with his heart almost always Mm -hmm. to his detriment, as we have discussed numerous times over this particular season. Um, So that is just a complete change of their way of life. Yeah. I'm like I have to exude empathy and I have to like, let that dictate what I do. And I can kind of sympathize with them, uh, with their frustration actually. Yeah. I yeah. get it. I, I, um, it is very much a big change in their life. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's going to be kind of sad to watch them go again. I've always just thought that there could have been just so much more exploration. Obviously, um, <laughs> spoiler alert, we're going to lose Aiden in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, which changes entirely Ethan's identity. Yeah. You know, who are you when you're no longer an identical twin? Um, which is, you know, a big question that gets asked a lot in, in media. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on, do you want to talk a little bit about Chris and Derek? Let's do. They both have, uh, they throughout this season have had created this sort of 
uh, unlikely allyship, mostly because they got arrested together. <laughs> um, Very buddy cop movie of them. Very fun. It's been interesting because just like the, the sheer act of handcuffing them to the same bench has made them have to open up the conversation about who the other one is in their life now. Mm-hmm. And it has been very much been a reevaluation of like how Derek feels as a hail towards the Argents and how Chris as an Argent feels towards the Hales, mm-hmm. um, which is, a, you know, a, was a sort of storied enemy n- moment. Um, and now, obviously, Chris has very much had a change of heart um, for many obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And they have a moment where, like, Derek is like, you could have shot me at any point. And Chris is like, I don't do that now. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting to me. What do you think? Yeah, I I really appreciated that moment because obviously, you know, Allison has been very insistent on the fact that they're, they have a new code and, you know, Chris has been really instrumental in this particular season in helping them out. And he really tried to help them out with the alpha pack as well. But, you know, there was no moment of reckoning between Derek and Chris. And if we, you know, Derek is kind of supposed to be the patriarch sort of, of like that group of boys, um, even though he doesn't ever get a moment to be that. Um, no. So they're like, you know, the two heads of each side kind of burying the hatchet, so to speak. And it's also, you know, I feel like a lot of people kind of, once they um, no longer have a thing to hate, kind of lose their way mm-hmm. and they lose the way that they think of themselves. Um, and whereas Chris seems to be adapting to that really well, I think Derek kind of doesn't know who he is in general, but also, yeah. uh, in relation to like the Argents in relation to, you know, like he doesn't have a reason to kind of be in Beacon Hills or, you know, to have a relationship with these people if he doesn't hate Chris or he doesn't, you know. Well, I will say, I think that both of these, uh, characters sort of have the moment of being like, I'm not who I was, but then are also both tethered in a way to their former identity in this episode. I think Derek going to go help the twins. I think that feels like something he thinks that Talia would do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when Chris, you know, like lets Allison graduate from Hunter school, which obviously they're, you know, that is not what they do anymore. It's not their code, but very much a symbol of like the four, like the, you know, four, the original order of things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, they, and they still emboss the fleur de lis on on the the bullet or the the arrowhead, like the symbol of their family. So it is a sort of reconciliation of both of their past and present, in like the form of the way that they're managing their identity in this episode, which I think is really interesting, especially in the way that they interact with each other. Uh, yeah, I would agree, and it's kind of disappointing to think forward to the fact that we don't really get to see them interact much at all ever again i don't think season five don't they both come back in season five i really cannot remember derek being in most of season five so i don't know maybe he's not i don't think he did i, I think black he liked, out season five it's possible i feel like when i was watching season five i noticed that tyler hecklin had dropped out of the main credits i could be wrong but i think okay here's the thing i have watched through teen wolf previous to this twice mm-hmm I could not tell you anything about season five other than me being like, I'm just going to hit next episode to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. Dread doctors. And they do kind of like Darth Vader breathing, but it's like it's underwater. Kind of. Kind of. It's like steampunky, but not in a way that's interesting. Not in a fun way. 
Yeah. It's too long. Sorry. Oh, sorry to the season five apologists. <laughs> I know you're out there. My, but why are you out there is the better question. We actually were discussing this just like in our regular lives the other day. Um, and I'm really, really hoping that season five is better than I remember it. Yeah. I'm really hoping that. Interesting. I feel like Teen Wolf doesn't actually leak into our regular lives until we sit down to watch it. And we're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I forgot I love this shit. <laughs> yeah, but I will say that like season two, way better than I remembered it on this particular watch because it's so consistent I'm hoping I always kind of consider that season four and season two are like of equal caliber Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of hoping that I feel that closer to five when we get there um no but we have a while we still have season four I think we're just dreading it I don't know I don't know you know it's the it's I'm it's the anticipation yes uh anywho uh do you want to talk quickly about Scott and Raphael yeah, Scott really doesn't have a lot to do in this episode. No, that's um, fine. It's fine for me. But there has kind of been like this weight hanging over them since Raphael uh, reappeared in Beacon Hills that like there's some sort of deep, dark secret about why he's not around anymore. And Scott kind of like isn't phased by it. You know, we've heard him calling his dad a gene donor. Like he's just like, you're not my dad. Yeah. Um, this man is well adjusted. <laughs> Very, like, tremendously well for being... It's because he has a very emotionally intelligent mother. It's true. Um, Yeah, but we find out that Raphael accidentally... I I really do think this was accidentally. Like... Okay, I find Raphael to be an unreliable narrator. Because Scott even brings into question. And he's like, if it was an accident or, you know, more than that, Mm -hmm. he's kind of just like, whatever, I don't care. But, like, Scott is like, yeah, it sounds like it wasn't really an accident. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, Raphael certainly couches it as such, but of course, of course, that's of course how he, does. he has to handle yeah. it. Um, but he's basically trying to apologize to Scott for having thrown him down the stairs when he was eight years old. Yeah. I think, um, I would fucking kill an eight year old. Yeah. Wood stairs. The fact that he's like, do you see this dent on the floor? And I'm like, if there was a dent on the floor, Scott would be dead. Yeah. <laughs> like he would not have woken up. Um, and he basically says, and this is what really bothers me about this particular interaction is that he was like, your mom told me to be gone the next day. And that's why, like, and I've never had another drink since. And the implication is that Raphael has not returned on Melissa's wishes. I guess. And I hate that. I hate it too. Um, because he's kind of passing off the problem of his absence to his saintly ex-wife. Yes. Um, and one would think like after all this buildup that, that that would have some kind of effect on Scott. And mm-hmm. he basically like walks Raphael around and he's like, you don't know anything about me. Like you don't know any of the accidents that happened in this house. Yeah. And what I've healed from. Yeah. And he's basically saying I healed from you. I can heal from anything. Yeah. Which is really interesting because he's basically being like you, I, I like basically his identity does not include Raphael. And he's basically being like, you should not include me in whatever you feel about yourself because you have some sort of guilt complex because you never came back. And like, that's something that is, you know, you just need to know that I'm fine. Yeah. That's on you Yeah, for never coming back. And also like, I love the little details of like all those like accidents that just happened in your house. Like all the weird shit that you and your siblings got hurt from doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so <laughs> sweet and true to life. And I don't know. I think it's so interesting because 
I had never, ever thought about Scott's dad. Mm -hmm. I was not sitting there through seasons one and two being like, gee, you know, I wonder what Scott's dad looks like or what the kind of relationship they had. And clearly Scott doesn't think that either. Yeah. So Scott is so much more interesting for not being a character with daddy issues. Mm -hmm. Whereas, especially we're going to talk about this in 6B, I mean 6A, like, and we talked about it in this season. Like, there is a serious weight that hangs over the Stalinsky family, like, in the absence of Claudia. Because she did not, you know, she was ripped from their lives. Yeah. She didn't leave by request or her own volition. And um, I think it's really interesting to compare the two of, Mm -hmm. like, what it's like to lose a parent in both regards. Yeah, because um, that is essentially what Scott went through. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like the subtext of that particular scene that is that Scott's not telling his dad kind of the most important part about himself. Yeah. Which is now that he's a werewolf. Yeah. And again, like uh, Scott, like being a werewolf is very much part of his identity, but his dad isn't. So he does not need to combine the two. Yeah. He's like not welcome there. Yeah. Which is very interesting. And um, just, I think very much more true to life we are so calculated like people are so calculated about what people in their life get to have certain information about them and mm-hmm. to see somebody do that to their dad is like i did, i would have hated some scene of like manful tears of being like dad uh, you have something to tell you which is just boring yeah yeah it was really poignant to me when scott was like i don't need you to apologize to me because the other unspoken thing there is i don't need you to apologize to me i needed you to be around and you weren't and you can't make that up yeah um and scott seems very much okay with that yeah i said it reminded me of the line in stick it where Haley tells um bert that he didn't owe it to her to be a good coach he owed it to her to be a good person and mm-hmm. that's really what Raphael owed to scott even if he wasn't going to be around as a dad he owed him some sort of explanation or apology or like human decency and then couldn't even swing that one so He's also not promising to, like, be there in the future. Scott is even like, I'll see you at graduation or whenever, you know, the next time it is that you show up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Raphael's not like, I'm going to change. I'm going to be here. I'm moving back to Beacon Hills. God, how horrible would that be for the show? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Raphael isn't offering to change himself. He's just kind of presenting his identity to Scott. And he was like, I am so sad and pathetic. And Scott's like, yeah, you are. Let's move on. Which is so much better because I don't want Raphael to grovel at the knees of his son. He doesn't need a redemption arc. No, he doesn't need a redemption arc. And it's also like, he also knows that he would not be helping Scott by reentering his life. No, there's a self-awareness there, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Styles, who clearly has had the most identity of this uh, <laughs> this season. Um, and what really struck me is just how fucking terrified he is of not being himself. Yeah, and I think the thing that really struck me about that is that when the Oni come and they do their little vibe test, as you called it, uh, and he's got his little kanji self behind his ear um he he looks up noshiko and he's like so i'm really me and she's like well you're more you than the nugitsune and i think that is fascinating well we know that their life forces are tethered yes um but you know i i think styles brings up the fact that he remembers everything he did and all the people that he hurt and everyone's deaths he directly or indirectly caused um, and so I'm sure a part of him is scared that he has like 
gotten a, a taste for it, so to speak, that this experience will fundamentally change him as a person. Yeah. And it kind of doesn't. I, ca- I actually can't remember. Well, I think it's interesting to me where he's like, I feel guilty because I it, w- it these actions were enacted from my body and therefore I can't mm-hmm. separate myself from them. It's very Winter Soldier. Um, and even even if you can't if even if you're not mentally present like you and but if you see that being done with your own hands i don't even think it's about the capability of of committing evil later it's about being unable to deal with the atrocities that were caused by you previous mm-hmm. um which is how guilt works you know yeah. but this is a, a mass example because lives were lost at you know multiple at the hands of styles and even though he wasn't, you know, he was riding shotgun in his own brain, there would be so little that you could tell him to say that it wasn't you because he felt it and saw it and experienced it as himself. I also think that's very much in Styles' nature to take responsibility for things like that. It's kind of how we've come to know him as a character mm-hmm. in like the last couple of seasons. Um both he and Scott feel their responsibility very, very deeply. Yeah. And I think that in terms of identity, like there is now an element of styles that will always have sort of not no getsune, but like that is the dark part of who I am or was. Mm-hmm. And that is just something that you end up carrying with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, especially somebody who feels as deeply as styles. He's so empathetic and so, um, emotionally sensitive that I don't think it, it, it's not it, it's not like Aiden who can be like yeah I pissed a lot of people off yeah well he because can't, he, there's not that degree of separation he can't you know muster that I definitely think Aiden in that example operates kind of in a world where like he's a werewolf and he's allowed certain indiscretions if you call murder an indiscretion which maybe you shouldn't um, but Styles I think you know we've talked a lot about the fact that styles being human is a really crucial part to the show and it's it would have been bad if they had turned him into a supernatural creature and so there's no excuse for him like humans who hurt other humans are just bad people yeah all monsters are human yeah they're not he's not a werewolf giving into his nature so to speak yeah um and you know like styles could be like you know scott used to not be able to control this but i'm a me i'm a person Mm -hmm. um which is so interesting because he's even creating a sort of double standard for himself mentally because of how guilty he feels because he couldn't control it either. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, (laughs) when you have mental health problems, it's okay for other people to be that way. It's not okay for you to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. Which this is technically a mental health problem. Um, I, this is, it's so funny how unstyles heavy this episode is with the exception of, um, the Nogetsune. And the thing that is so fascinating to me about that, and I wanted to shift into Lydia really quickly, is how much more terrifying it would be to face something that is putting you in physical danger, has put you in a place that is going to psychologically torture you, and it is taking the form of the person that you identify as being like your savior, mm-hmm. which is who Styles is to Lydia very often. And if we're being speculative, the person that you love or a person that you love yeah, very deeply. Um, this is not about identity, but oh my gosh, Dylan O'Brien's performance 
as the Nugitane, completely the separate from Styles. Teen Wolf King. Absolutely King. fascinating. If the, we ever put out merch, one of them is just going to have to be like Teen Wolf King. Teen Wolf King. Like the tone of his voice shifts. He like speaks in kind of a different pattern. Yeah, and he has it's a, so interesting. He has a very interesting, it's, you know, what I'd maybe call like the villain lilt. Yeah. It's slow mm-hmm. and it's low and it's there to let you know that you are, should be very uncomfortable right now. Um, mm-hmm. and he's so close to her. Like styles is very, uh, negotiates his space around Lydia very well because he really likes her and wants to be really close to her, but also, um, respects her and knows that that's not always what she wants. And so he enters her space frequently, but not like not lingering, mm-hmm. um, and have this force be so like, so, um, antithetical to that and like sort of over powering and overbearing physically like he could hurt her obviously mm-hmm. and his like face is like his nose is on her face while she's talking and it's like oh it's insidious it's really gross and i think to lydia that would be really really terrifying because she knows consciously that that's not styles she knows that but to have to interact with him physically in that way would be really difficult to handle um mm-hmm. On any level, um, and especially the way that she identifies styles. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw that a little bit in the last episode with Derek completely kind of changing his whole tune mm-hmm. about the way that he reacts with Chris and how scary that is because you know that that probably isn't, I, I think Chris is smart enough to be like, that's, I don't think that's Derek in there. Yeah. Um, but he can enact real, very real harm to you. And I think Teen Wolf actually plays on that concept a lot. Yes. Um, but Good, it's very effective. I like it. <laughs> it's yeah. very effective here. Very scary. Uh, I briefly want to touch on Isaac because I think he's going to bring us into our Allison discussion. Yeah. Isaac, uh, this is kind of our first stint of Isaac not having control over who he is, um, other than werewolfisms. Mm-hmm. Like Isaac was the first to of the of the new betas in season two to be able to find his anchor and like yeah. control his shift. Um what a prodigy. He's so cute. <laughs> um, and he has been somebody who has probably has to be in hyper control of his emotions due to his past. Um, is often a little blase about that in ways that frustrate me, but I also think is very keyed into his survival instincts. Yeah. And so Isaac is now coming off um, uh, an experience where he was totally out of control and feels guilty about that because he thinks it might have um, hurt Allison in some way. And she is very kind of touchy about the subject too, because she doesn't want to think that she, that the Isaac she slept with was just like a manipulation of the Nogitsune. She doesn't want to think that it was just some evil puppet because she clearly feels something for him. And he very much needs her to know that like, no, 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 that was that moment we had together was me. And it was like honest. Um, yeah, particularly because the implication of it not having been Isaac and having it be the manipulations of the Nugitsune veers very much into the consent question. Um, and like, could Allison give consent if it wasn't, if she didn't know who she was, you know, doing the horizontal bop with? Or could Isaac or, give consent yeah, as, be, as his both. body being controlled? Both yeah. ways. And so um, for Isaac, I mean, he must be 
his his real need to impress upon Allison that like no it, it really was me I think part of that is because he really really likes her but then also I think to Isaac the idea that you could enact the same kind of like psychological horror and physical horror on someone that he had done to him yeah um is just like a, probably the worst thing that he could imagine and being manipulated into doing it yeah uh so that's a really not a tough scene to watch but it's like my heart feels for them yeah and that scene in the car is really compelling and i really it's so brilliant in the way that they can't actually say what they want to say because it would be too much because what if he says no it wasn't me Mm -hmm. and so they're being like very like that was and then isaac is obviously so has no (laughs) game and he's like what did you not want it to be me and it's like no you dummy of course you wanted it to be you She's yeah. wanted to have sex with you this whole season. And you finally did it. I love that they let Isaac <laughs> get laid before he left the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I have I have some feelings about that whole situation, particularly because of events that happen leading up to Allison's demise. Yeah. Um, because it really does, it makes you wonder, like, what the nature of their relationship was the whole time and like how they actually felt about each other because there's no real moment where they get to like confess their feeling just the action. And so I I think it's a little bit implied that beyond them sleeping together, there was at least a conversation about Mm -hmm. what was happening between them because she says like, it's, it's less about even like the physical act as much as she's like, I wanted to be with you at that moment. And I have to think that they've been, they, unfortunately, we're not the biggest parts of the season, but like, uh, what is on mm-hmm. the cutting room floor? What is all of the shit that they talked about that didn't make it into the series? Yeah. Um, but I have to think that like Isaac, uh, Allison is somebody we talk about being so closed off, really had to sort of crank open her heart to let Isaac in, and all he wanted was her approval. And I feel like that was kind of the culmination of that. Um, and I actually sort of, as much as I'm like, I want to know more about this because I'm curious and invested... I kind of like that it got to happen quietly. Yeah. Mostly because every teen show that tries to do a virginity plotline fails miserably. It's so boring. Yeah. And it's just at a certain point gets weird because you're like, I don't, I don't want adults to be writing this content. You don't know how to handle it. Um, in terms of like the identity aspect of that particular conversation, I feel like, especially when you are, um, in high school and, you know, as you become an adult and you move into more serious relationships, like the people that you date become part of your identity. Like some people will know you as so-and-so's girlfriend or so-and-so's boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and that becomes like how you start to identify yourself. And clearly Allison and Isaac like aren't there yet, but it's an idea. Yeah. Well, even like if we assume that Isaac has never slept with anyone before, Mm -hmm. um, which I mean, I guess we don't really know. Uh, but if we, you know, he's going to identify Allison as the person that took his virginity. Yeah. And later you move on in life and you're like, that doesn't matter. (laughs) But at the point when you're in high school, that matters a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's probably going to identify as the, identify her as like the first girl he fell in love with. Um, in the same way that Allison, you know, tells Scott that you're the first person I fell in love with. And I think that this is a big thing. Like Allison will always be a part of Isaac's identity. And I think for this season and until, you know, the end that Isaac was going to be part of Allison's identity. And that's why we get that flash to him when Scott is holding her as she dies. Yeah. It's very, it's a lot. We got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. Okay. So we've had a lot of people, um, wanting to know, wanting to know whether we not, we think that Allison was fridged. 
We've had a long conversation about this. We've talked about it before. We talked about it when you first watched the series. Short answer is no. Short answer is no. We do not believe that. Um, the longer answer, I, I think it has a lot of different factors um, as to why she had to die instead of just being written off the show in the way that like Isaac and Chris were. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, when we talk about the concept of fridging, we are referring to a woman who dies very early on in our hero's journey, perhaps even before he becomes a hero. Yeah. Or a villain, depending on the story. Um, women who are fridged, really anyone who is fridged, um, are that's happening to further someone else's character development, usually a man. Mm-hmm. And this is the this is the end of season three. Yeah. We have Allison been through it. Is a fully formed character mm-hmm. with fully formed relationships with not just Scott. You know, most of her scenes with Lydia pass the Bechtel test. Yep. Um, she identifies, she, the way that she identifies herself, and this was why I wanted to talk about identity through this episode, is she reestablishes her identity in relation to all of the people she loves mm-hmm. in this episode. That conversation with Isaac was her reaffirming that she is a romantic partner with Isaac and not some Nogatsune puppet. Her conversation with her dad is to reaffirm that you are my dad and we are family and I love you. And she has to say it to him. She refers to Lydia as her best friend and she's there to save her best friend. And then in her final moments, she identifies Scott as being the first person she ever loved. And that she still loves. And that she still loves him. Um, and I, I think kind of people kind of um, misinterpret that. And perhaps that's what leads to the fridging conversations. Because she's like, I love you. And then she dies. But I... I would want to tell the person who was holding me as I died that I loved them. Yeah. Because I don't... I, I, I mean not inside Jeff Davis's head. So I could not tell you if that was supposed to be romantic, but I really don't think it is because I think the first person you ever love, you always love them. Yeah. Yes. Um, even in just like the dullest way that it's just a small tucked away corner of your heart. And Allison gets to tell him that, which I think is very touching. I also think that people who are quick to call it fridging, uh, are, I feel like are actually the people who don't like Allison very much, who haven't sort of done the work to find her interesting in the way where you, you know, in the way that you watch the show, you know, waiting for styles to come back on the screen. Yeah. Whereas I mentioned before, I've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times that my first watch through Teen Wolf, I didn't like her. And it took watching it the second time and being interested in what the female characters on the show had to bring to the table that I really started liking her. And once you can form this full personality that she has, which is like, cold and sassy but funny and loving in so many different ways um and insecure you don't feel like she's been fridged because she's not a person you kill off for the advancement of somebody else like she has all this already um if allison had died in episode one and she was already dating scott and we never found out anything about her and then there was just like a bunch of sad mopey flashbacks i'd be like that is bogus that's yeah some bs i think there's reason to be made that you can be like talia was killed to progress derek's plotline i think you could even say that erica was killed to progress boyd's and isaac's oh i would say that erica is fridged if we're using that term Yeah. yeah i would say even kind of not i would i would say kate if she didn't come back in um Whatever season, next season, Mm -hmm. yeah, this season. Um, It's not an example that I would make. And in fact, I find her death, if Crystal Reed wanted to be off the show, which she did, I find her death more than noble. It's heroic. She 
the whole, pretty much her, so much of her arc in season two is about her becoming a warrior mm-hmm. and learning how to fight and and doing it because she doesn't want to be a scared little girl and she wants to protect her friends. And she died not trying to save Scott, trying to save Lydia, her best friend. Yeah. And I find that so uh, touching. How many times can I say that in this podcast? Um, I was moved by it. And also, like, if, if Allison were a man, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Probably not, no. I also, just from like a a TV watching standpoint. I, I like major character deaths within reason, within reason. And I there's think, a reason I don't watch Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> that, that's a whole, that's a, that's a long conversation, but yeah. Um, I, I think that quite often, and we're not going to use game of Thrones as an example because that just got out of hand way too fast. But like Teen Wolf is a show with major consequences. And so it makes sense eventually that someone you deeply care about who has been there from the beginning and who is part of the main cast is going to die. I appreciate that it was Allison because she is the warrior. She did it, you know, to save Lydia. And I think it makes for good TV. I think it does too. I also think like in terms of her identity, you know, as a warrior and that journey that started in season two, which unfortunately started at the hands of Kate and Gerard and was completed by her father Mm. in this episode, she had sort of, not reached the natural conclusion of her life because she's 18. Oh my God. But like the conclusion of that arc of her being somebody without identity, identifying herself as an origin and then reforming it in a different way as her own person, as you know, with a different relationship to her dad, but still somebody who has these ties, um, and has, has managed to change the way that her identity affects the rest of the world. And that's, what's so beautiful about her making that arrowhead and that arrowhead being, uh, used to save Isaac. Mm-hmm. The last thing she does before she dies is save Isaac's life, which yeah. is interesting and for for all the reasons where they, you know, he for their first interaction being basically her almost killing him. You know, we have come to this, this great full circle, and I miss Allison desperately in the next couple of seasons. It's awesome to have Crystal Reed back for an episode in mm-hmm. season five. Um, she does leave a huge gap in the um, in the series, but it's not like we're left with like no women in the show. That that was something I was going to bring up as well is that there are there are women on the show, there are interesting women on the show, and they have introduced more in this season than they have in the past. Yeah, and so, next season we get Malia and Kira and Lydia. Yeah, um, and I just and you know in terms of of identity Allison died as who she wanted to be Mm -hmm. and that is the best that you can kind of ask in a show like this um because a lot of deaths befall people who are uh dead who die because of a lapse in identity Mm -hmm. and I think that that was was really really touching and that whole scene like we were kind of talking passively throughout the episode because obviously we've seen it and then that scene happened and it was silent I feel like not even the train went by and it was like Oh, the um, sound editing is also phenomenal. It's really, really good. I am a very weepy person and I'll cry at pretty much anything. Um, and I will say Teen Wolf very, very rarely does that to me. But there were two instances um, in this episode that really got me. Um, one is obviously Allison dying. Um, but, you know, the moment that she has with her dad and in particular when she's like, I'm proud of you. Yeah. That really got me. 
Yeah. I also just love the notion that children can be proud of their parents. Because you know mm-hmm. Styles is proud of his dad, and that is also such a good um, juxtaposition to Scott being, like, objectively not proud <laughs> of his dad. Yeah, but um, he's so proud of his mom. Yeah, he's so proud of his yeah. mom. And she's she's also proud because he, like, it. it she, he w- was the one that helped her, helped her undertake the challenge of reforming the Argent identity. They did yeah. it together, and he is proud of her. It is, like, very much reciprocal, and that is the best. It is. Oh, oh, uh, he shows up and, and sees her mm-hmm. at the end. Thank God, because I could not watch a scene of Scott having to tell him. No. Um, I'm really, I'm also glad because I think the other way to do it would be to parallel the way that Allison found out about her mother's death. And I could not handle watching that. Nope. It'd nope. be too much. And also the fact that Chris doesn't say anything. Yeah. Um, I think is important. I think he knew after their conversation, I think that he was like, this is going to be the fight that, you know, one of us doesn't come back from after the phone call, especially. Yeah. I, and I kind of wonder, um, I wish I could remember seeing this for the first time because watching it again, knowing what's going to happen, you're like, this is, um, foreshadowed really heavily. It's very heavy handed. Um, and not in a way that I don't like, but I kind of wonder if anyone can remember watching this for the first time pre-internet. So not pre-internet. No one was watching this pre-internet, but like while it was airing. Yeah. Before it made it to (laughs) Tumblr. Yeah. I do not remember. Mm -hmm. I do not remember if I knew, I think maybe there was a something in the promos that kind of gave it away. Mm -hmm. Or I think we all knew that Crystal Reed was not coming back for the next season. I think that that was discussed on Mm -hmm. the forums or whatever the forums. forums. Um, does Gen Z use forums? I I really don't think so, but correct us if we're wrong. Do they exist? Um, um, but yeah, I would have, I wish I had the forethought of being like, one day I'll have a Teen Wolf podcast and should have started taking notes <laughs> then, but I was, busy. I was busy being like 18. Yeah. So yeah, this is, um, this was a heavy one. It is heavy. Uh, do you want to move into cues and O's? Yeah. Um, I, I really have like one question and this is just a, a plot one and I don't know if you remember, but Styles makes a really big show when they go get Meredith that she was like, they're going to want to know the whole story, mm-hmm. but we don't know what the fuck the whole story is. I can't remember if it happens in the next one or if that's just like a dangling. Oh girl, I don't know. Okay. I figured you wouldn't, no. but that's pretty much my only question. I think. Okay. One, this is kind of a rhetorical question. What is it with teen dramas and people wearing shoes on their bed? Ugh absolutely disgusting what is wrong with you people i wouldn't even do that in a hotel no well i'll lay on my bed if i have shoes and i lay on my bed with my feet hanging off the edge because they're not touching my blankets mm-hmm. what styles just fully has shoes on in scott's bed yeah so <laughs> it's disgusting and rude yeah. <laughs> i just think about all of the shit that i walk on throughout my day of just like living in a city mm-hmm. oh by the way i saw the squished rat oh gross oh there is a squished <laughs> there is a squished rat in our alley and i saw it when it was fresh and it was oh gosh <laughs> i meant to tell you when i got back from my walk but it's like you're like there like- should we name it <laughs> It's like fully. What should we name the squished rat in our alley? It's fully part of the cement now. It's just like part of the landscape. He lives there. 
this is this is what it's like to live in Chicago. There are literally signs everywhere that's like don't, don't feed, feed the, the rats. rats. <laughs> Which is like I feel like rats are more often or they're not associated with New York. And like I don't fuck with New York rats. They are way bigger and way scarier. But like you're like, ah, uh, Chicago, it's so shiny and there's a lake, and it's like, what does the lake mean? Rats. 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 Um, I think that we wouldn't have this problem. It's not like they're ever, they're not like they're in our building or anything, but we wouldn't see as many if we didn't live so close to the L. No, it's true because they'll just hang out up there yeah. along with the birds that get hit by the L and then get dismembered. <laughs> oh, by the way, we're just going to spend the rest of the podcast talking about dead animals. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know why I randomly thought of that, but yeah. Because it haunts you. I saw the dead rat. Well, yep. I'm happy you told me and also our listeners for a reason I could not tell you why. It's it's good content. Anyway, so on to my next question. Um, okay, this... Um, when Scott reaches for Styles, immediately pain starts... The pain, black goo starts shooting up his arms yeah does scott always reach for styles in an effort to check if he's in pain or was styles exuding that much pain that it just went i'd like to think it's the first one the first one is just so pure and very very i like it would believe that of scott Mm -hmm. but i think i think the point is that styles is just in that much pain pain. um chronic pain is uh, Mm -hmm. a a real real bitch real bitch yeah, that would be very sweet. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know, because when, well, when Scott reaches Allison, he he's like, I can't take your pain, which, oh my God, devastating. Yeah. Um, Ouchie. So maybe he, maybe he does. Maybe he just like kind of assumes that people, that people are sometimes in pain and just tries to do it automatically. Or I also wonder if like the sort of act of taking pain is like inherently looped into the way that you touch people empathetically. Possibly. Scott's a very empathetic person. He is. So, I'm not sure. That's an interesting thought, though. Yeah, that was my only question. Uh, do you have observations? We didn't get to talk about Coach because he's not an important part of this episode, but he's back and being he is funny. Back. <laughs> and he is funny. And he tases the mean uh, orderly. orderly. And saves Meredith. And saves Meredith, yeah. Because also, like, we were talking about how sweet Coach is with Meredith. Like, he does not have the uh, language to speak to her in any way. And even Danny is like, that's uh, not how we say talk to people with mental illness anymore. God bless Danny. (laughs) Um, He shouldn't have been in the room. Coach is not a very good crisis manager, but... No, but he is very... Like, I said this to you, like, Coach is one of the, like, three adult men who aren't, like my dad who could call me sweetheart and I wouldn't have like flight or flight. (laughs) I told you, I've told you this before. I had to like ask one of my college professors not to call me sweetheart because every time I heard it, my whole, like my whole body would just like condense and be like, no, no. But coach is like really sweet with her. He's like, sweetheart, sweetheart. Like I need you to hear me talking to you and like is having a really hard time breaking through. But like at the end of the day, he does not know this girl. He's never met her. He's very confused by her presence, but wants nothing but to save her. And I love coach. He is such a good man. Yeah. A little bit it is Vendetta over that mean orderly who apparently they went to high school together or something. Which is very funny to me where he's like, those who can't do teach. And I'm like, well, coach teaches economics and you're an orderly. Yeah. Not even an orderly. Like, not even a nurse. I don't. Yeah. I actually don't know what you have to be to be an orderly in a um, 
mental hospital. No, I'm not going to look it up. But don't, the don't Teen Wolf writers didn't either. So, but yeah, like, Coach is, like, very much, like, an, has an established career in yeah. this town. He's, I don't want to say he's respected, because I don't know that he <laughs> I don't think he is. But everyone's like, yeah, I mean, he has to be, knows, he has got to know some shit about fucked teach economics. <laughs> uh, the, the wonderful, wonderful moment in that particular exchange um, is, you know, he's being wonderful, sweet, coach finstock and then kira shows up to warn him and he's like great who are you I'm kira i'm new <laughs> we didn't really talk about kira in this episode because she wasn't a huge part other than her game of go with her mom but i'm glad they explained the game to us because i've never known how to play go me neither i probably would not know if you set a board in front of me but i understand the general concept now yes um it's Love. kind of like chess there's an episode of the West Wing where like the president is playing three ep- three episodes, three games of chess at once, and there's like three different crises going on, and that's what this episode feels like to me. Yes, with the Go introduction. Um, do you have any other observations? Um, I really like Meredith. I'm really glad that she has a point. I'm glad that there's another banshee. That she's not just like, she's crazy. She's a crazy Which person. a Teen Wolf truly, I mean, I don't need to bring this up again, but could you please handle mental health <laughs> problems with like slightly more finesse? Please, 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 please. Maybe. No. Signs point to no. Signs, signs point to no because we've watched the whole series. <laughs> yeah. Um, Raphael is just a total idiot. I know we've already talked about this, but he, the way that he misses the point so hard is impressive to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Deaton is not really in it, but I also think that he gets way too offended for a man who has been so fucking unhelpful these past three seasons. Yeah. He's like, I don't know. Pull I was a little busy. Weight, asshole. <laughs> or like Nishiko is just watching the Oni beat the shit out of these kids and then murder one of them. And she's not doing anything. I, well, I'm wondering if breaking the last tail took away her powers. I think so. But she shouldn't, she remember like how to fight and where are Kira's electrical powers? Yeah, we haven't seen those in a while. Where are they? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think she needs an electrical field. Maybe she's just not. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Instead of teaching her how to play Go, could have been like. Here's how you do some zappy zap. Yeah, Kira got a fun little moment where she was just like, you know, if you wanted me to stay out of this, you shouldn't have had me assemble a sword magically. Yes, love her. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Any other observations? No, I, um, we talked about most of them, I think, in our, in our discussion. Yeah. I really, I liked this one. I liked it too. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I got? Uh, oh, you know what I loved? How silent the scene was where Melissa was checking over Styles' vitals. Yeah. Th- this, this episode plays very well with silence, especially in terms of Lydia, because nobody actually wants to hear her scream. Um, but like how silent it gets the second the sword hits Allison, the silence in the beginning of this episode. I, I love when we can play a negative space, especially in the sound um, design of an episode. They're very judicious with the music. Um, and it's very good when it is used. Yes. Yeah. Um, the keys in the coffee cup moment <gasps> so. was so good. And it also reminded me of like um, when you have to like prove your identity to somebody where, you know... It, you know, because there's two of you or because mm-hmm. like, I don't know, poly juice potion or whatever. And you have to pick a detail that only they would know. And it's so soft because it's not like he's demanding it. Styles just comes in with this piece of information. He's like, I am me. I am me. And I'm going to present myself as me as soon as I walk in so that you have no other choice but to believe. And I just, I thought that was really sweet. Um, Tender. The window writing. Lydia writing on the window of her car, which is how Allison used to communicate with Scott is 
so smart because she she would know that Allison would have to be sitting in the driver's seat to figure it out and only Allison would figure it out. It was it's such a good moment of them being best friends. Uh, fantastic observation. Moments like that infuriate me because I'm like, oh, you, Teen Wolf writers, you have the capabilities. Yeah. You are well Do better at your job. Well equipped to make this show as thoughtful as those little moments. And uh, you just decided not to for reasons passing understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, I. Sorry, go ahead. I had an observation that I had forgotten about. I really, really loved um, Scott's little rally the troops moment yeah outside where he was just like we've done this before and then isaac does his stupid little quip about how i just didn't want to do homework we're well past that isaac we know you care about them yeah um but i just thought it was a really nice a really nice way to be like oh yeah same shit different day from scott but it was very like wholesome and he kind of knew what his role was in that moment yeah he wasn't trying to be the leader he was just trying to boost morale yeah loved it um (laughs) <laughs> way sadder take uh there is this line that styles has where there where isaac where isaac is in the back of the car and he's like no one is saying this but you look like shit and you're gonna die <laughs> which is like thank you isaac you're right nobody would say that i need, really need somebody with absolutely knows people's skills to come in and say shit like that but i and styles is basically like yeah i don't give a shit if that saves other people and it just reminded me of there's this um this is like a common sort of like uh exploration of suicidal ideation in any media that touches it but there is a moment in in bruges where uh colin farrell's character is talking to brendan gleason's character and he is gonna kill himself and he's like i will have always killed that little boy and that won't go away unless i go away and i think that that's like a little bit what styles is feeling like i have i will have always killed those people and that doesn't go away unless i go away and that was just really really dark and um uh, a, a really good look into how Styles is feeling about everything. Um, hmm. Oh, I love that the cha- the Oni can change ownership because it is a direct reference to the Canima changing masters. It's very cool. Yes. Um, also, I mean, again, continuity. He had already taken her last uh, little tail, mm-hmm. and we find out he still has it. Very important that it didn't just disappear into the ether like it happens a lot of the time. Yes. Um, the fact that it actually serves a purpose. Great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yep. And um, oh, the the great tragedy of this episode, obviously, is that Lydia told them all to stay away. Because she knew. Because she knew. She and could feel it. And they didn't. Great job. Oh, I fucking love Lydia. Mm-hmm. I love Lydia so much. Um, should we move into pack stats? Let's do it. There cool. aren't that many. No, there wouldn't be. It would be weird. Um, the All the wolves had their eyes glowing when Deaton was pulling the creepy flies out of them. And then there was Oni eyes at, at one point. Uh, no one pulls out their claws. No one takes off their shirt that I remember. No. Um, Again, that would be weird. I, I'm going to say that there was a Toyota ad just by virtue of the fact that they're in Lydia's new Toyota mm-hmm. um, when they find it. But other than that, no, only one siren. Huh. Maybe because it's snowing. I don't know. People aren't starting fires. <laughs> well, <laughs> on purpose. Mostly I think people aren't driving. Yeah, that too. Um, do you have an Alpha of the Week? Shut up. Our Alpha of the Week is Allison. What am I talking about? There's no one else. There's no one else. She is the Alpha of my heart. I am going to severely miss her. Rest in peace, Michigan royalty. 
Crystal Reed. <laughs> She's very much alive. Uh, yeah, I mean, she is, but Allison's dead. Yes. Um, we're no. going to miss her. I really am. She there There is definitely a hole um, mm-hmm. in, in that she leaves in Teen Wolf. Um, but I love her. And now Crystal Reed is doing other things and being really artsy on Instagram. She's so artsy. and We like her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day I'll see her around Detroit again. I feel like... No, I never bother no. anybody. I saw her in Stelton Standard once, and I was like, oh, that's my, Crystal Reed. Uh, my grandmother called my mom like a few months ago, and she's like, you'll never believe who I saw at the Walgreens. And my mom was like, who did you see at the Walgreens? She's like, you know, he's he's a famous actor. You know, his name is uh, Keaton, Buster Keaton. She had seen Michael Keaton at the Walgreens. <laughs> It is so funny. It's like all the people. It's like all the people who like don't recognize Tony Hawk, or like, are you Tony Hawk? And he's like, I don't know at this point. I I saw a tweet that was like, not me, like studying a picture of Tony Hawk. So if I ever met him, I'd recognize him. Now I feel like I should do that. Oh, my sister saw him at the Grove once, and she was like, I, you know, because like she's like, I would never ask anybody for like an autograph or anything, but maybe I should have for Tony Hawk. Just to, like, just to like be like, I do recognize you and appreciate you. And you are Tony yeah. Hawk. I never, I would never bother anybody, but I would like to let Tony Hawk know that I that know. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we will miss Crystal Reed. We will miss Allison. Um, I think that wraps up a slightly longer episode of the Team Wolf Free Wolf, but it demanded it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys enjoyed this episode, then we hope that you leave us a review on iTunes. If you leave us five stars and a review, we'll read it out loud and give you a shout out on Twitter if you tweeted us. If you want to follow us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle, and we're on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf. If you want to join the Facebook group, you can join Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast, answer the questions, get in the group, get in the groove of posting memes. I think that about wraps it up. So after all this, I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, woo!